Welcome back to Missionary Mindset. This week, we continue our conversation with Ryan Kirk. He talks about daily life in China and sharing the gospel. He also begins to unpack their COVID exile and not being allowed to go back home. Let's jump right back in. So what are, I guess, I mean, we haven't really talked about this, but what are some ways that you've dealt with kind of that stress of like constantly having the target on your back and constantly being watched, but not proactively like a guy following you everywhere you went, yeah, yeah. but cameras following you everywhere you Well, the, I, I mean, the advice we, we were told is that live as if you're on camera because you are. Yeah. And so the idea was don't make yourself a person of interest. Um, we, we made sure we paid attention, um, information through our networks, but also we just pay attention to the news. Um, and we made sure that we had good sources of information on what was happening in China, what laws were being passed, what speeches were being made, and what they meant, that kind of stuff. Uh, it doesn't mean you have to read every single speech from Chairman Xi, but you need to be reading the people who will give you decent analysis of what it means. So, uh, yeah, it was kind of like, don't gift wrap your information for them. <laughs> if they want to have it, they'll, they'll take it. You, you're not going to keep it from them, but you don't have to gift wrap it for them. And don't draw attention to yourself was basically how we did it. And, and when you're choosing what you're going to do, what you're not going to do, sifting, like we sift your motives. Like, why are you going to do that? Is that thing risky? Well, then why are you going to do it? And is it, is it really so valuable for the people you're serving or, or is it, or are you, or underneath, are you doing it for selfish reasons? Like, is it because I need to feel significant or because I want a story to tell or these kinds of things? I mean, I, th- I, I think it's important for missionaries to constantly be sifting, like just be habitual to ask ourselves, why are we doing this? Yeah. Really? You know, is, is this for me or for them? Because a lot of times, a lot of times what we do benefits us more than it benefits the people that we're supposedly serving. So, um, I mean, it, it was stressful. It was background stress all the time. Yeah. And so there's, there's, there's two times that we realized how stressful it was. Because when you're in it and it's you're normal, you don't necessarily realize it. But one time, so Chinese New Year, everyone leaves town. There's no friends to do anything with because they're all back in their home villages. So that's that's the time when a lot of the foreign workers will go out of the country, go to the conference, you know, maybe spend extra days, just the family. We we went uh, to our conference early, like a whole week, just our family, and for three days we were just in this really weird space where we realized, wow, we've been tense for, you know, all year. And for three days, we just, it was like, if you get, it's almost a physical feeling of decompressing. It was so weird, but that's what made us realize like, whoa, we're actually living under a lot of stress. We didn't realize it until we just got to this other neighboring country and didn't want to do anything except sleep sleep like we we deliberately said we're just the only decisions we're going to make every day are are we going to go to the beach or the pool and what are we going to eat and that's it (laughs) and and that was 
that was glorious. That was the greatest <laughs> thing. And then the and then the other thing was when we got trapped outside of China because of COVID, and we ended up in Taiwan, and we started interacting with the Taiwanese church here and and other people, and we're like, wow, this society is so different in in a, in a, in a weird intangible way, but. And, and people that live here will say, oh, yeah, it's, it's high pressure, it's fast paced. And it's true. But there's a, there's a layer of stress that doesn't seem to be there. There's a layer of like, I don't, I don't want to, if I characterize it, it would probably come out wrong. But people just seem more relaxed here in the sense that they're not suspicious or yeah i don't know people that i've talked to they characterize it still as kind of that island life mentality i mean obviously outside of taipei the whole culture is much slower outside right 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 yeah but inside taipei it's it's fast paced but people still take their time to get places and if you're on time you're pretty much early for anything and i feel like there's still that kind of slower lifestyle pace even in taipei even though it's busy. <laughs> well, I mean, for us, where we lived, everything always, people always seemed guarded. Um, even at work, people just didn't share information. Yeah. And, and people get along, you know, and it's okay, but there, I, I, it's hard to describe. There was just a really intangible sense we had here that people can talk and and people, people here are still, of course, very, very Asian and um, very indirect. Yeah. In some ways, it feels like the indirectness can be even more indirect here, but about different things, maybe. But yeah, people, people always want us to compare the two places. And it's awkward when Chinese mainlanders would ask us, oh, well, how does you, oh, you lived in Taiwan. What's it, what's it, how's it like? How's it compared to China? I'm like, the real answer is our impression, you know, as outsiders, yeah. is that Taiwan was both more developed. Oh, Taipei. We're talking about Taipei. Taipei, yeah. So Taipei was both more developed and it's more traditional. And, and that, that, was, oh, that was always our, the answer we never told anybody. <laughs> <laughs> because there was, there was a lot more traditional, obvious traditional culture, like temples on every other corner, depending on where you are in the city. Um, yeah, I mean, we have six temples yeah. just in our neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> and, but I mean, that's like a more obvious yeah. overt thing. Uh, you see more traditional practices that, that way, but also um, the really indirect uh, communication styles. I mean, China's indirect, way more indirect than North America, but, yeah. but our impression, at least, was the type of even more so. Yeah. Uh, and so what we say, like, it's it's developed like like some city in North America, you know, or even more so. Like the yeah. the the public transit's just wild. Great. Oh yeah. man, and uh, yeah, and our second tier city in China can't compete with that. No way. Yeah. Life. So we can never say that. But uh, yeah, I forget what the question was. <laughs> Sorry, that's okay. What was did did the legal changes? make people more open to the gospel or well it was weird because i think that for us as foreigners especially as 
Christian foreigners, you know, we're not, we're honestly not used to saying the M, the M word. Yeah. We just didn't say it in China. Uh, we'd occasionally say M, like say the letter, but most of us didn't talk about it. And that was convenient because it was for safety reasons, but also because the word missionary means so many different things to different people. Like you, and even with people back home, like my family, I don't even like using it with them because their their reference for what what meaning they put on that word is is quite different from what we actually do and are. Yeah. But nothing, I can't control that. So, but I think I think missionaries experience those changes differently than locals. And I guess it depends on what kind of church you're in and if they're if they're really attuned or if they're really oblivious. Uh, for the churches, the so like the the underground or unregistered churches that we were associated with, they were just not aware. They're just not paying attention. That 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 city was so relaxed for so long. I mean, they would they would when we first showed up, they they were bringing in a speaker from America to do a little weekend conference. They printed posters with the guy's face and put it around to advertise. It was we we're like guys, you. You're gonna do that? Like, why not? <laughs> and we just come from a, we'd moved there from a very tight city. And it was like, man, they're just not aware. And, and they're, they're, they weren't getting all the, like we were subscribed to news that monitored that stuff in China, but they're not, they're not getting that stuff. Yeah. So, and not, not every church wasn't that way. This is just, the ones yeah, that we were attached to so so when we told them sorry we can't like when we said we can't worship with you anymore they didn't understand why they thought we were being way overactive now we turned they learned because the security did actually go to one of the leader's houses and pick him up and interrogate him and then make him give them a tour of their unregistered church meeting place and, you know, there's a clear evidence of foreign involvement yeah. in there. And if we'd still been there every Sunday, like, I don't know what would have happened. So they, they learned eventually that, oh, we have to take this seriously. Yeah. But, you know, thankfully, they, so far, they haven't had any serious repercussions. They kept meeting even after that. And... He didn't, from what, from what he reports, he didn't give him anything <laughs> interrogation, you know? Uh, it turns out they were looking for a specific Korean uh, person. Gotcha. But, you know, they, they don't come out and say that. They're going to ask you lots of roundabout questions for hours and hours. Yeah. So, I mean, things happen. Like, things more like that went down. You know, like, we're waiting for, me and the guy waiting for him to show up for, for our usual weekly noodles and where is he? Where is he? And finally, we get a message. Oh, I'm, I'm with public security. Like, and then we're freaking out. Like, you know, we're next. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So different churches do different things. And they all, they all do everything over WeChat. Like, no filter. They just say all the things. It's, it's, it's a church WeChat group. And they're not hiding anything. They're not even trying to hide it. And we're all trying to speak carefully and not be explicit and it's hopeless and so and then when the pandemic happened they, they just held services on wechat <laughs> which 
which, you know, by law is required to hand over anything the government wants to government. So, and now maybe people have seen there's a new, a new law about religious content online. And so now we're all waiting to see how that's going to get enforced. Because if they enforce it to the letter, it's going to be drastic changes. Why do you, I mean, this is obviously an opinion question. Why do you think she has decided to cram down our religion so harshly within the past, I'd say, oh. 10 years? Well, the why questions are always harder than the what. Yeah. Like, we can easily describe what's happened to us that we've witnessed. But why, that's like, high level analysis i mean we learn like we learn from good people we hear from good people yeah the best so i'm I, this is not my analysis this is just me passing on what we've heard from, the, from what we know is so you know we all started experiencing those changes in the mid-2010s but what i've heard is that this has been in the works for a long time and that you know when when deng xiaoping did the reform and opening and liberalized the market and everything. Um, there was a lot of low hanging fruit in the sense that they could make some changes and get big results. And they're starting from, you know, poverty. And so things changed really fast, but eventually all those easy changes were made. And during that time, suppose, this is what people say is that there is an implicit agreement that said, we're the Communist Party, and as long as you don't question our right to rule, then we will let everybody get rich, and the economy will continue to have double-digit growth. But that can only be maintained for so long, and they, they knew the economy would be slowing down. And there's a, there is a, supposedly there's economic theory that says with developing countries that at some point, you can't just tweak economic policies. There's gonna to have to be political changes that happen in order for the growth to continue. And so they had to choose, well, are we gonna make political changes or are we gonna find a way to maintain power even though the, the economy slows down and this implicit agreement we had suddenly starts, gets, to as, starts to fall apart. So people told us they chose not to make political changes and instead decided to leverage big data, their tech um, to control everything instead. I mean, that's, that's like the cheap, quick, <laughs> cheap, quick answer. So um, economic pressures and the bottom line is the party yeah. wants to stay in power. Like that, that doesn't mean they don't care. I'm not saying the leaders don't care about the country, but push comes to shove. I mean, I guess for any party, you know, because any parties, I mean, I can think of even the two major parties in the U.S., probably each one would say the best thing for this country is for our party to be in charge. Yeah. So first we got to get in charge and then we can sort out the problems. So, so yeah, so they're going to, I mean, our friends that worked in factories, they, they, they quit having cards. They walk up to the door, it scans their face, lets them into the proper department. Like, that's like a factory, you know, I mean, but it, it was wild, the, the stuff they could do. So. So yeah, so they started controlling and they're, you know, get a hold of the internet, get a hold of security cameras and you can know who goes where, doing what. Yeah. And everyone's carrying a cell phone with WeChat. So, yeah. 
yeah. tracking. So it's not like it's just you're, we're already giving them the information. Yeah. So all they have to do is organize it, and get a grip on it. Yeah. But yeah, why China does anything is <laughs> there's. I mean, you can you can read some of the classic China history books and stuff. And there's even from two hundred years ago. There's quotes from like German agents in China that were trying to do stuff. And at the end of his life, he's bemoaning the fact that he spent decades in China and trying to change it and how it's just hopeless and who knows why anybody does what. And, you know, I, I think Jonathan Spence has To Change China is one of his books. Like this has been tried, trying to figure China out and affect change, you know. China's China's <laughs> a big place. It's yeah. been around for a long time. <laughs> and now a word from our sponsor. This podcast wouldn't be here without the Taiwan Missionary Fellowship. First thing I'm happy to announce is that they have a new updated website with an online directory. The online directory is a really useful tool to find missionaries and their ministries in Taiwan and other parts of Asia. You can search by location or category. If you're interested in having your ministry or organization listed on the website, go to tmf.org.tw. Once again, that's tmf.org.tw. What's it like having to be so careful every day with like sharing the gospel? Because obviously, I mean, when you started, you said it was kind of open. You kind of do what you wanted to. And then towards the end, you know, obviously things were clamped down much sharper. So what's it like having to like being able to Share the gospel openly mm-hmm. kind of at the start. And then this country that you've lived in for 10 plus years at that point is suddenly yeah. you're no longer allowed to do any of that anymore. Well, some, it, I guess it depends on the moment. Some, some days it feels annoying and you just want to roll your eyes like a, like a teenage 13 year old girl, you know, like <laughs> I have a 12 year old this way that, that, example came to mind um and then you just think come on guys this is ridiculous knock it off be a normal country like this and it's not a good attitude i'm just saying yeah. some moments feel like that other times it's really stressful because you have to you might want to say something to someone in a certain moment but then you're like well, who is this person and you know is can we can i do this and you know, people say things like, oh, well, you shouldn't be fearful. And it's like, no time out. There's real world, real world consequences here. And, and when you're, sh- and you're trying to share the gospel in a certain way, why is that really going to be effective? You know, uh, and, and why are you doing this is because you really care about this person that's in front of you or because you just really wound up to go, you know, I don't know when, because when we talked about sharing, the, when we thought about sharing the gospel, we're not taught, we're not primarily thinking about telling people certain bits of information about God and Jesus to change their opinion in their mind about who God is. When we're talking about sharing the gospel in China, it's, we're trying to recover more what Jesus' gospel is which is a lot more than a couple bits of information for you to agree with so that when you die you can go to heaven it's there's the kingdom of god 
and Jesus has made it so that we can live in it together and experience life the way God wants us to experience it. And through that, God can continue to redeem the whole world and all of creation. And we can essentially be brought back to the role we were created for, to, to rule God's creation the way he wants us to. So the whole place flourishes. You know, I guess instead of Eden, we get the new Jerusalem. You know, people want to go into Revelation 21, look that up. Um, but so we, like we saw, yes, there is information to articulate, but there's also a way of life to convey. And it's not individualistic. It includes individual, of yeah. course, but it's, this is a thing we do together. That's why our training groups were always, how can we live in Jesus' kingdom together? How can we obey this teaching of Jesus and, and manifest this life? in real life terms. So like sharing the gospel with people, we're talking about sharing a whole way of life yeah. with people. So, so when, so it's a little bit, in, in a sense it's easier if you take that approach because you're not just running around throwing information everywhere you can, you know, it's, it's through relationships uh, with people, you know, so, and, and it's about how we treat our spouses, how we, how we respond to workplace drama, um, what kind of thought and emotion habits we nurture with people that annoy us, you know, that kind of thing. So what kind of life we're trying to create together. So, I mean, there's no, like the government doesn't care if you're, if you're treating your wife and child with patience and, you know, and not, nurturing anger and retaliating at work when people i mean i've heard people joke that there's more drama in the average chinese office than there is in like romance of the three kingdoms you know like um can be pretty vicious with office politics you know i mean and, and these are things that would come up in in our training groups like we'd read love your enemies like well how can we how can we actually try to do this this week and people would bring up horror stories from work and this woman hates me and she's always had to get me but this week I'm gonna I'm gonna not gonna respond like that. I'm gonna respond to more, you know, that kind of stuff. So you think about it, because people when they see you as a foreigner, they'll be pretty open. Like you're you're outside their system, so they they will like unload all their complaints on you. Or um, so you have a lot of opportunities to say things, but if they're not people you're in relationship with, it, it sometimes doesn't matter anyway. Like some random taxi driver, yeah. you're probably never gonna see again. Yeah, then sometimes I would try to say something to at least give them something to take with them and give them something to think about. Throw seeds around, you know, that kind of thing. But that, but our our main focus was trying to manifest life in the kingdom together with groups of Chinese people. So let's, I guess, switch gears kind mm -hmm. of towards not being able to go back. Oh yeah. So you were you went to. A uh, country nearby, just kind of for vacation, like we talked about earlier. Well, it's always conference slash vacation. Yeah. So usually, the, especially people with kids, <laughs> will will attack on days. Yeah. You know, um, and because those those places tend to be cheap if if you know how to do it. Yeah. And so, oh yeah, we'd have a glorious extra week. You know, just doing nothing except running around the beach. So you have this great week of being lazy, stress-free, 
and then yeah. suddenly you're at the airport. Well, it was it was so weird. Um, we when we were flying down there, uh, we were in the airports, and I remember looking around, going, "It it was it was right before COVID broke." And I remember, and I remember I'd heard some some snippet on the news about a virus somewhere, but it wasn't big news yet. And I remember thinking, am I seeing more masks than normal? Looking around, I'm like, no, I guess not. Because there's always lots of masks in the winter in China. Yeah. And but the second day that we were in the neighboring country, you couldn't buy masks in any seven. They, I went and they were sold out everywhere. It was the news that broke basically while we were in the air. Uh, and and it was like whoa and we went to conference and it's more or less a normal conference if everyone's going hey what are you gonna do what are you gonna do you know my flight got canceled what about you you know ours is still on and for a lot of people it was if the plane flies we'll be on it and for a lot of us though our planes got canceled so we we had uh, extra time <laughs> in a very sunny, nice place. It was like, this is sweet. It was weird though, because normally those places cycle through tons of China workers at that time of year. But this time they started to pile up and they had to find other venues to put people because every organizations were trying to hold their conferences and, and people were scrambling. All the English teachers were on their laptops doing class online. It was sad. I mean, I, I worked, I didn't have that kind of job. So I'd walk, walk over to the beach and see these guys teaching class online. I'm going swimming with my kids. Like it was, <laughs> it was awesome. It was so, I mean, that part was great. So we were stuck there for an extra week or two. Everybody's scrambling. We, we actually had a couple places we'd lined up that we could have gone in that country. But nobody knew what the, is a pandemic, no one knew what was going on. We didn't. Uh, and, then, and then we had friends of friends in Taiwan. And we thought, well, okay, if we're going to wait something out, let's go to Taiwan. At least it's, it's Mandarin speaking. But <laughs> we came here. Friends of friends meet us. Uh, we've, we've just driven in from the airport. And they're like, so how long do you think you'll stay? They had, they had an apartment they kept open for short-term summer people. And they're like, how long do you think you're going to stay? And we said, oh, two to four weeks. And, and I was saying four weeks thinking, well, that's kind of long, but just in case, I, I, I don't want to. Open. Yeah, this is probably. I, I want to. I want to set weeks. their expectations properly. Yeah. And it turned into two years. Yeah. And that whole thing. So we got here. We just had our beach clothes. We had conference clothes. I mean, I actually had a couple of button shirts because I was I was doing some presentations, but um, that's it. Yeah. And and we're camping basically. We're thinking, well, we're going to be gone in a couple of weeks. But then it, it was a couple months. And then, and then it was like, hey, our visa-free window is about to close. I really got to get out of here or get a job. Yeah. So I went and got employed. And it was like, this is dragging on. And we're getting serious cabin fever. Like, Taipei Bay is a fantastic place to be stuck. Like, if you're going to be stuck anywhere, it, this is a great place to be. Not just because it's safe in terms of the virus, but it's just, it's a great city. But we were living out of suitcases for months i got a job because i had to and even in, in the interview i was like hey i'll be straight with you we're trying to get back to china 
So I'll give you guys as, as, as much advanced warning as I can, but you know, I can't promise anything. And they were fine with that, they understood, but that dragged on and on. And the longer it went, the, the first, the first, well, we had to shift gears a couple of times and the first big one, like really jarring gear shifts. The first one was when my wife and I had to admit to each other, hey, there's a possibility that we won't get back to China. Yeah. Like just admitting that possibility was huge because we committed. We, we assumed we'd be there at least until our kids were going to college. And then we thought, well, maybe we'll have to go back with them just to help them transition into university, get them through university. But even then it's like, fine, then back to China once they're on their feet. You know? So the idea that we're, we're only halfway into this thing, you know, whatever, 13 years or whatever, and suddenly, wait, what, we might not go back? That was huge. And then the next big gear shift was uh, admitting that it's basically shut and we basically can't get back. You know, we had employer, we had people that, we had companies that wanted to employ us, but it was just impossible to, to process the paperwork for family. Like maybe, maybe if, if we were single, had a ton of money to invest, your tech or something. I mean, we, we knew of a very small handful of single people that managed to get back in, but no, we didn't know any families. Yeah. And we tried every which way, followed every single lead. We, 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 every rumor, every bit of news, it was exhausting. And so we basically gave up after 18 months. That's when we started looking for jobs in the US and Canada in earnest and that was just awful it's not what we wanted we'd we'd gone with this big commitment we felt like we'd had a decent plan that was actually working you know it was long-term plan and and we were getting i guess you could say like big breaks in terms of that's not that's not not the right way to say it but there's like different levels of competency that you, you grow into if you're, if you're in a good, in a good direction. So like survival Chinese is pretty easy. You can get that in two years, you know? Um, and then there's, you get enough Chinese to where people will humor you in a sense, like, okay, they'll give you something to do in church, yeah. you know? And it's like, okay, it's good stuff. You're doing it in Chinese. Not well, but oh, it's okay. And they're, they they're, understand everything. They're, yeah. they're, they're, they're happy to let you do it and, and help you. But I mean, it's, it's as much as them doing it for you as you're doing it for them, you know. But then you can get into another level where it's like, oh, no, you're at, you're, you, you've reached like a threshold of competency where you're kind of over a little hump and you can articulate yourself and you're socialized enough that you know how to move properly in the social world. And then it's like, oh, now we're at the starting line. Now we can actually maybe start being actually useful maybe. Um, and we felt like we had just cracked that. And, you know, where, where when we're in places, we're in their turf culturally, they're not adjusting for us anymore. And that was super exciting. And, you know, we had some really big offers 
to go do some things that we actually had to turn down. Like that, that, that winter of 2018, we went to conference, got the big security update of this whole organization was cleaned out and that whole, and then, and then on the way back in, we got texts that said, Hey, can you come, you know, we have this big network. Can you, can you come teach us this training stuff? And it's like, Holy cow, like that. And I had to say, let's, let's meet and talk. And just like, sorry, like <laughs> not after what we just, what just happened. And they don't, they don't know. They, they, they didn't know that hundreds, if not more people were just kicked out, you know? So, so we, we felt like we're okay. We've made it. We're like, took years and years and years, but now we're at a place where from this level, we can actually go somewhere. And then to not much time later to be interviewing for jobs in North America, it was like, what on earth just happened? Well, that's all for this week. A big thank you to Ryan Kirk and his willingness to talk about his family's life in China. We'll be continuing our conversation in two weeks. As always, this podcast is brought to you by TMF. For more information, you can visit tmf.org.tw. If you get a moment, please subscribe, rate, and review. It may not sound like much, but every little bit helps. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, feel free to contact us at tmfccg at gmail.com. Once again, that's tmfccg at gmail.com. We'll be back in two more weeks. Until then, bye.